This episode of the Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico podcast is brought to you by Spectacle Eyewear. Now, if you've been watching any episodes of this podcast on our YouTube channel, you might have noticed I've been wearing some pretty cool specs lately. Well, you know where I get them? Spectacle Eyewear, 505 Tremont Street, Boston, Massachusetts. Their phone number is 617-542-9600. Head down to Spectacle. Go visit our friend Paul. You'll get yourself some cool specs. Kids will have their say. Welcome to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. We have a really good show for you today. Jamie Sharapa and Chris Foley, the rhythm section of one of the most famous hardcore bands ever, SSD Control, did an interview with us recently, and we're going to play it for you today. It's a good one. So please hang on for a few minutes, and we'll play that for you shortly. By the way, the track you heard to start the show off today was from the newly reissued Kids Will Have Their Say album. Uh, The song's Boiling Point good one. It was SSD's first, and now it's been re-released by Trust Records out in LA. All right, listen to this, and we'll be right back. Being the big vinyl lover that I am, I'm proud to tell you about Joe's albums in their two locations. The original shop at 317 Main Street in downtown Worcester, Massachusetts, and their second location out in Western Mass at 5 Market Street, Northampton. Both of these shops are loaded with both new and used vinyl. It's hard to walk in either shop and walk out empty-handed due to their amazing collection of records and other cool goodies like t-shirts, mugs, posters, etc. If you can't find what you're looking for in the retail stores, check out their website, joesalbums.com. Thank you, Joe, for being so cool. All right, I'm really excited today. As we approach our five-year anniversary as a podcast, we want to continue to bring you great guests like the guests we have today and play you some of our favorite tunes. So please consider supporting this podcast on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Twisted Rico, or you can also subscribe to us on Spotify and please rate, subscribe, review on Apple, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Spotify, and of course, YouTube. So, before we talk everything SSD Control with the reissue of their classic debut album, The Kids Will Have This Say, which was just released, as I mentioned, by Trust Records, really good label in California, I want to tell you about a cool event that's happening in Somerville this coming Friday, December 8th. It's the New Alliance Gallery Holiday Party with a new art installment, which includes, are you ready? New art by yours truly. That's right. Got a show, man. Got an art show. I need you there. 
Uh, it's down at the New Alliance Gallery in Union Square, Somerville. The opening party is Friday night, uh, April, December 8th, 7 to 11. Uh, you can check out some music, art, and yes, Twisted Rico Art will be in the house, which means you can hang around with me if you come down. I mean, that's an opportunity you just don't want to miss. But seriously, they have not announced... Um, at the time of this recording, they have not announced all the artists for the show. Otherwise, I'd give them to you. But I know Alvin Long is part of it. Bill Freeze, probably the great Michael Crockett. And there's also music in the studio from Wrong, R-O-N-G, and Miracle Blood, two bands handpicked by Ethan over at New Alliance Audio, which means he's probably going to be mixing them. So you know they're going to sound good. Uh, the address, if you don't know, is 438 R, which means rear of the building on Somerville Ave in beautiful Somerville, Massachusetts. The entrance is in the alley behind the building. So come out and support the art and the music and hang out with me and a bunch of other cool people. Their parties are always good, so you don't want to miss this one. So check this out. We'll be right back. Attention guitar players, I know you're out there. I have some exciting news for you. You ready? Put down that six string and listen. Stomp Underfoot are handmade guitar pedals by fuzz-obsessed Matt Pascarella. Matt makes every pedal using quality, new, old stock, absolute, and rare through whole components. I know you know what that means if you're a, you're a guitar player, right? Every pedal is also entirely hand-wired, tested, and ready to go. If you want high-quality handmade pedals, check out Stomp Underfoot at stomponderfoot.com. The legend of SSD control has grown and become more popular as time goes on. SSD is right up there in the highest echelon of American hardcore punk. They have a place alongside Minor Threat, Bad Brains, and Black Flag as one of the most influential and original bands from the hardcore scene. With two incredible straight-edge hardcore records under their belt, they cemented their place in history. Now here we are. 40 plus years later, and their debut album, The Kids Will Have Their Say, has been remastered and reissued by California label Trust Records. Wow. They're keeping the hardcore alive out there in California for sure. Thank you, Trust. Al Burrell, Springer, Jamie Sharapa, and drummer Chris Foley made history, and they are being recognized for it all these years later. It was about two years ago that Al and Jamie joined us on the show, and today Jamie returns with drummer Chris Foley. I really love talking to Chris Foley and Jamie. We had a great conversation. I'm going to play it for you right now. So here I am with Jamie and Chris from SSD, the mighty SSD. Welcome, YouTube users. This is Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. If you want to hear the entire show with intros, outros, and music, please go to Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, etc. Very excited. Please welcome to the show, Jamie Sharapa and Chris Foley, the outstanding rhythm section of SSD Control. Uh, hello, hey, hello. How you doing? What's going on, man? <laughs> I, I talked to Jamie about coming back on the show because believe it or not, Chris, this is his third time on the show. Third was, time. Oh, yeah. Three timer. Right. He was yeah. on with Al yeah. about a year and a half ago. And then he the long wait, the whole band, except for Glenn, came yep. on, and now he's returned. Here I am again. <laughs> this might be the last one of these I do. I, I I'm a little burnt out on podcasts and such. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm just saying the same shit over and over and over again, but I'm well, sure you'll go for a road. What are we gonna For say, 40 Chris? years, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we've been we've been telling this story for a little while, but you yeah. know, it it uh it it uh tends to look a little different when you move on in time a little bit, you know what I mean? So it's True. it's good to get different input. That is good. The story is definitely taking on a life that I, I didn't ever expect it to take on in the last few years. Um no did I. 
Congratulations on the uh, reissue of the kids will have their say on trust records. You guys got to be excited about that. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's, been, it's been wild uh, beyond our expectations for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, uh, I remember getting excited about it, but I never dreamt that uh, it was going to uh, garner this much interest um, or that, you know, I didn't know what to expect with trust records and they've just been doing an amazing job and uh joe nelson's been working it and i i couldn't be happier with with what they've been doing and they've been surprising me all the time yeah. um which which has been great yeah yeah i, I mean I, quite honestly um you know al and i had had a convers many conversations over the years about you know re-releasing this stuff and my belief was always you know people that wanted it already had it i didn't really think there would be that much interest um, so I'm pretty shocked by, by, uh, by the response. Well, I, I saw what Joe and those guys did with circle jerks and, uh, seven seconds. So they, they just, you know, you guys coming along now after those two is really good because they've already tested the market and like the market's there. It's a, it's a big market. Um, I wanted to talk to Chris a little bit because we got a little bit of your story, Jamie, on, yeah. on the early days. And I'm just wondering, Chris, were you like part of the whole Boston crew thing or were you just a drummer in the band? Because you don't seem like the type of guy to me that would be part of a crew like that. Were you? <laughs> and how did you meet I, I met them actually uh, it, through an ad in the Boston Phoenix. So uh, at that point, they were looking for a drummer. And uh, I had a friend explain to me, I knew who Dead Kennedys were, but I didn't know who MT was or, uh, and he explained it was Minor Threat. And uh, it's a good friend of mine was a DJ at the time. And he was like, yeah, you got to check this out. This is what's, this is what's happening. That's 1981. Um, and so, you know, I had been trying to venture out of my hometown. I was 16 at the time. I was trying getting out of the heavy metal bands. I wanted to try something new. I wanted to get out of Wellesley. I wanted to go into Boston. And uh, uh, that's where this opportunity came up. And I was saying something the other day, you know, because I walked into a room where it was obvious I was kind of the only one who had musical experience. But there was something happening. There was a, bu there was a buzz in the room and uh, definitely something I wanted to get involved with. But, you know, my dad drove me to that first tryout or, or practice. Um, I couldn't drive. I was too young. I was still in high school. So, and I had to catch the T home uh, a lot of times. So, you know, I did miss some of the events in town and mainly just because I didn't live in town and uh, I was a few years younger. Um, so yeah, especially looking back now, people are like, well, what were you doing with them? You know what I mean? Uh, and it's true. I don't look particularly hardcore, but, uh, you know, I could play some drums, you know? Yes, you, some... you sure can. And I didn't mean it that way when I said it. No. I meant more of like the, the crew hanging out and all that. So I think Al might have been talking about you when we did the interview about we had guys that had to take the train and come from a long ways away. He was talking about you, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Springer had to do it as well, but. I mean, I rode my bike to the T, took the T to the Orange Line, took the Orange Line out to Wellington. Jamie picked me up. And then we drove to Al's place for rehearsal. So, yeah, you're probably talking like four hours commuting time. But again, it was being I was 16. I was in a, a cool band that was playing in Boston. I was like yeah, having the time of my life. So um, I really didn't mind it, you know. Jamie, what was the chemistry like when Chris came in and started playing with you guys since you guys put the ad out there for a drummer? Yeah, you know, uh, it's funny. I don't remember a lot about a lot about the details, though, but I do remember that that first practice, him pulling up, um, you know, my parents garage uh, was where we had our first practice and uh, just thinking, wow, this kid's, this kid's really good, man. <laughs> I didn't you know there was no question he was going to be the drummer in the band if he wanted to do it. Um but yeah, I, Springer tells the funny story of, of, you know, seeing his drums and thinking, oh man, that looks like a jazz kit. Like, what's this guy going to be like? And then he starts playing. We're like, oh shit, he can play. Because <laughs> believe me, we could not. <laughs> uh, like you said, there was the only one talented musician in the band and that was Chris until Francois came along. 
So, so Chris, did they have songs and stuff together when you got there and say, this is what we want to do? Or how did that all work out? Um, I'm, I'm not sure that Al had any completely formed ideas. Um, I definitely remember the first thing we did was play the song uh, Decontrol by Discharge. Um, and that was, yeah. I think, s simple enough for us to get a hold of and actually play through. Um, and then Al may have introduced a couple of ideas. Um, and again, it was so coming from such a different angle for me, you know, usually it'd be like, oh, I just learned this song off of this record and you play. But when somebody's writing songs, you know, you got to pick up where they're coming from. That first day, I didn't necessarily know exactly where he was coming from, but um, I totally just like unhinged myself from all my musical past and just tried to go with it, basically. What what um, was what was your past? I mean, what were you listening to and what were you playing? When did you start playing drums? Oh, I started, you know, as a little kid and did band in school. And uh, uh, my first band was called Lorelei. And uh, <laughs> we we played at Natick High School. And uh, I remember a chair got thrown through a window and it was just the principal was freaking out. It was awesome. It was great. I loved it. Was that from the stick song that you got the name, Lorelei? No, no, I don't know. It was a siren song or something. I don't know where they, where we came up with the silly name. But, uh, you know, we were doing Aerosmith and Jimi Hendrix and Robin Trower and all kinds of, like, metal and stuff like that. I mean, remember, at that point, it was like 79. So Hendrix was only 10 years before that, you know? It's yeah. kind of freaky to think about that. But, uh, um I was definitely ready to move on. And, and to me, a lot of the, the, the music at the time and even the vibe, um, you know, people that, you know, you talk a lot more about the straight edge thing and what, and what that meant. And, you know, the vibe in playing in a band at that particular time really was about partying and, and rock and roll and partying and staying out all night and all that stuff. And, and I remember being like okay i'm all set with this like people started dressing up in the heavy metal stuff and i was like it's not working for me so um taking a different approach it was just fresh it was like new I, okay i'll try doing this I, and again al wouldn't express himself in musical terms it would just be like it goes you know that's basically how we would go and uh we'd figure it out from there um, was there a straight edge code in place for you when you no, got there, or did you? No, 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 no. Uh, uh, oh, geez, can I tell the story? I don't know. I remember there was an early practice where uh, somebody, a friend of Al's that he brought along to practice lit up a doobie. And uh, I remember taking it and offering it to Al. And uh, he was like, no, I, I, I'm not into that. Don't, don't do that. And uh that I remember that ride home. Actually, we had a long discussion because it was like, Chris, what are you going to go do? I was like, oh, I'll probably go smoke some weed and hang out and listen to some music or something like that. And that's when the discussions happened about, well, why? You know, do you need to do that? Or, you know, I, I kind of want this band to not be that way, you know? And I actually, that was refreshing for me, believe it or not, at 16, because I was a weekend binge drinker at that point in time. And uh, it was that was it was the party world. And I was definitely like turning off from that and turning off from your typical high school life at that point in 81. So, you know, people ask me about the, the straight edge thing and me straight edge was a conversation. It was a conversation I had with Al about, you know, how to live your life and, and how to feel good about the way you live your life, you know let's face it, any of those rock stars who, who live that life as sooner or later, at some point have to come down from the high, you know? So some of this was like, no, we're going to be so intense that there will be no drugs. You won't need drugs. Cause we're going to be, this music is going to be so intense. And so in your face, I mean, and that, you know, there weren't extreme sports at that time. This is before like extreme became extreme, you know? Um, and I was into it. I, I, I definitely uh, 
wanted to let go of Jimi Hendrix and 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 the whole, you know, I, I never got into Motley Crue. They were never like it was not my thing. Like I, that's when I ba- I bailed before metal at that point. You know, um, was it was. This is interesting because you're saying that Al kind of like led you away from all that, like the party kind of direction. Oh, definitely. And wow. and then under, seeing seeing Minor Threat come into the scene and 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 realizing it kind of develop. And you know, Jamie was there. We we watched this whole thing kind of develop, and we watched people like object to it and say, "Oh my God!" You know, they're running around beating people up for drinking beers. And we knew that wasn't the case. And then it being punk rock, then people started mocking the straight edge and making fun of it. And it, it, to me, uh, again, it, it really was a conversation. It was a conversation about how you want to live your life. And, and it was definitely a little more altruistic, you know, Al's views, you know, uh, uh, Anybody remember True Values when we did, when we did True Values right Hardware True Values, yeah. um, so it, it, yeah the, he definitely led me uh, in that direction and it was something that you know I wasn't going to play music to party I was going to play music and that to me was much more uh, uh, um, the drive you know the yeah. driving force. What about yeah. you? Go ahead, Jamie. I was going to say the similar thing uh, for me, just in that you know, Al and I used to drink a, a bit when you know before um, you know in the early days. But then uh, I always recall that uh, the the time we went to New York to see Black Flag and met all the DC guys. Henry was there, Henry Rollins was there, and and a bunch of other guys. Uh, Ian was not there for some reason, but um, you know they they were talking about straight edge and stuff like that, and then. Um, I remember Al and I having a conversation driving back from New York. Uh, he was driving, I was in the passionate seat and we both kind of said, you know, let's stop drinking like that. You know, we kind of really were impressed with, with their whole scene. And uh, from that moment on, I think both of us, you know, pretty much stopped and, and, um, and, you know, the straightest thing kind of took hold. Was it exaggerated in American hardcore when they say that you guys took it to an extreme in terms of the way you, didn't allow anyone around you to like partake in that. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, there's definitely uh, been some uh, embellishment of some of those, those stories, but you know, I, I, I don't remember Al ever saying, well, maybe he did say it once or twice, but you know, I, I think just people being around Al knew this, the, that he didn't drink and that he wasn't down with that. And I don't ever remember him us ever saying, no, you can't drink or this or that. It's just that when when we hung out together, I don't remember anybody being like fucked up or anything like that. It just wasn't our scene, and just um, you know, I don't think there was a a, a discussion or any sign of uh, or any sort of demand. Uh, it just kind of happened. It was or a little more organic than than what people make it out to be. You okay. know, I think a lot the reaction. It, it was somewhat of a reaction to the Sid Vicious punk rock thing, <laughs> which was yeah. you know drugs. You, you know sex and drugs and rock and roll to the extreme. And it, the, I always felt like it was somewhat of a reaction to that. Like we're into punk rock, but we're not going to be that kind of punk rock, you know? And it, that's where it, it felt like a bit of a change, you know? And that's where it, um, it, it took on a life of its own, shall we say. And I felt like... <laughs> People were partying around us all the there was definitely a lot of drinking and a lot of drugs going on. But it was like Jamie said, it wasn't in our group of people, the nucleus that we had that operated as a band that moved in the van that 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 went to the 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 dressing room or stuff like that. We didn't have partying or drinking was not a part of that. But we kind of cohabitated the hardcore world with a lot of people who were doing drugs you know so that's where it's always a little weird to me that people are like oh you know uh uh everybody was so extreme about it like uh, i didn't feel like we were in our scene uh, and it it may have taken on a life of its own in other situations and in other scenes where it felt to me like a lot of people got militant with it and i never felt that we were at all militant 
about it. Not in, not in our, again, not in the nucleus of people that we had. You know how perception is, you know, someone will say one thing and you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't be around. And, when it, and people, that's how I heard it. When I was around, I was living, I was going to Framingham State, actually, uh, not pretty close to where you grew up. And yeah. um, it was like, I, we were partying heavy, man. I was like, kind of like, I don't know, man, I like this music, but I don't know if I want to be around these guys, man. They'll kick the shit out of me, you know? Um, what, yeah, you know, the other thing, uh, there was kind of famously this, um, this little straight edge chant that, that we did one time when we were in New York and that, you know, for some reason had a, took on a life of its own, uh, choke on, I remember driving to New York. I think it was, a, a, we were playing with minor threat. I think that was that, that weekend. And choke came up with this little chant thing. He said, Oh, I'm going to, let's do this on stage. And I think we did it like right before we went on to play. And, uh, you know, there's a line, kill anyone with a bear in the hand. And, and, and you know, again, it was a, it was all meant tongue in cheek and kind of funny, but people took it, you know, a little more serious than it was for sure. That, that's what I meant about it. It eventually became a little bit of an in joke with people, yeah. you know, and choke is the person I think of. I'm not trying to call him out or anything, but I, I think he was like, oh, let's mess with these people because, because at this point we can. You know, and yeah. that that was a little bit of punk rock right there. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna fuck with you a little bit, you know. Exactly. There was that press conference too, you know. <laughs> you see the film, the highlight of that, and choking Alice sitting there like no yeah. drinking, no smoking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was real, real early, man. Uh, I I can't remember what that exactly was for. <clears throat> Who recorded that? Somehow, someone got a hold of it and it got out into the public, you know. Um, Chris, once you, um, once you settled in with these guys, uh, do you remember when you first started playing out what that was like for you? Um, it was awesome. I mean, I, I was 16 years old and I was playing at clubs. I wasn't even allowed to be in well, rooms that really, I felt like I was, you know, sneaking. In. I felt like I was sneaking in, you know? Um, but you know, when I think about it, it started out at the gallery East and it started out at different venues. And, uh, I mean, I thought it was great. Uh, it, it was amazing. I also, you know, in the beginning you know, things were a little sparse, but I didn't realize when I went on to be in other bands, how hard it is to get a hundred people in a room or how hard it is to get 200 people in a room. I think I got a bit spoiled with SSD because, you know, I felt like whenever we played, there were people there. Um, and later on in life, I learned that if you're in a band, you actually have to work pretty hard to get people into a club. So um, I was a little spoiled, you know, and uh, I could run back to my high school and tell everybody about it. And, you know, I dragged some of my friends in, but um, I was really enjoying getting getting out of my little suburb there and and being in the band and playing and i remember one night we uh we opened for the bad brains at streets mm -hmm. little club i don't know if you remember streets at all it was only over for like two years but um we played with the bad brains they showed up i remember hr gave me the um pay to come single and and yeah. i still have that it's probably mm -hmm. worth a lot of money but yeah. um that uh <laughs> I remember playing that gig. I, my parents let me go to school late the next day because I had been out late. And I remember walking into school. The hallways are empty. Everybody's in class. And I'm just like, I'm the fucking coolest kid in this school. You know, <laughs> I just played with the bad brains last night. You know what I mean? And it just, it, 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 it was part of forming my personality. You know what I mean? It, it, it was part of who I became. And, you know, it's, it's kind of fun now, 40 years later, to look back and 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 take a, a, a bird's eye view of it, you know, um, uh, realizing how much that really helped to form who I am and who I became as a musician and and everything. You know, you yeah, know, I, wanted... I, I agree with you wholeheartedly because, you know, SSD was my first band as well. I mean, I, I learned to play bass like you know, two months before. So in fact, <laughs> I would tell the story. I, I wanted I originally wanted to be a guitarist, but I took one guitar lesson and thought, this is, gonna, this is gonna take way too long man i want to be in a band tomorrow <laughs> so like i took what i learned from that one guitar lesson applied it to bass and within like two or three months you know al and i were connected and 
and, uh, and and doing a band. But uh, what you said about, you know, it forming sort of who you were as a person, that definitely was, you know, a huge part of who I was and who I became. I mean, I'm, I'm still the people that were friends of mine, you know, when I was 19 years old in, in the early 80s are the friends that I still have today. And we all still have, you know, very like-minded views on the world and stuff like that. And I think a huge part of it was, was, you know, the hardcore scene, the punk rock scene, the music scene, just, just those people in general um, were, are still a, a huge part of my life. Um, Chris, what, what are your recollections of uh, when you guys decided to go in the studio and make the um, kids will have their say record? That, well, that, uh... You know, I've been reminded recently about how uh, kind of scattered the recording was. Um, I had done a little bit of recording before then, but it was definitely a new experience uh, for me. Um, and because it took place in a few different places, Larry Lasad's basement or Oak Grove, and um, I think my most my, my fondest memories are of Radio Beat. Um, where we spent a fair amount of time um, in Kenmore Square. There, uh, it, you know, to me, it was that—that's what I wanted to be doing at that time: was making making music, making recordings, and um, you know, as the sound goes, you know, we, we've kind of often said that we, we we never were successful at capturing the live sound. But I've always looked at a studio as a different beast altogether. Um, and so I've always loved that process. Um, and then, you know, working with somebody like Lou Giordano, who really was a perfectionist. You know, I saw him work later in life with Pro Tools and all that. And that dude, he, he you know, was all about nailing it and getting it right. Um, but to a certain extent, I was like, Okay, you guys, you tell me, did, did that work out okay? All right, then then let's go. Let's do another song, you know. Um, it was really about uh trying to execute and get it so that every everybody could go, okay, I can I can live with that, you know. Um, but it was uh really exciting. But you know, I think back and I do remember all the tape machines slowing down at Oak Grove because it was so hot and getting kicked out of Larry Lasad's basement because his dad didn't want a noise factory in the basement yeah. we spent four i remember like four hours getting all the drum sounds we set the guitar amp up al strummed one chord and larry lasad's dad comes running down what do you think this is a noise factory and we yanked the power cord right out of the wall and i just remember being like okay this this is going to be a, a fun experience i think we ended up having to come back yeah, we ended up we ended up coming back the next day. I think Larry uh, bought his dad like uh, a ticket to the movies and like a pizza and sent him off. And we recorded the next day. They left all the gear yeah. set up, and we came back the next morning. Yeah, that's right. There were like three sessions all together on making that record. Maybe four. I feel like uh, we yeah we did Oak Grove, which is in Malden. That was the very first time we recorded, and that sounded like shit. I don't think uh, we well, used anything off that. Yeah, I don't think it's ever been used. Yeah, we were always, you know, for me, at least I was always like chasing that live sound. We were, you know, I've said many times, we were a live band. You had to see us live. Um, so, you know, but we heard some of the, you know, we heard some of the, the stuff that was coming out of D D.C. And we're thinking, yeah, that sounds kind of, kind of cool. And so, you know, we were definitely chasing a sound, which I don't think we ever got. But yeah, we were at Oak Grove. I feel like we were at Radio Beat and that didn't work out. Then we went back. Then we went to Larry Lasad's place and then we were back at Radio Beat. So I don't remember all the details of it, but it was multiple sessions trying to get something that, you know, never really came to fruition, I don't think. But, but you know, it, it's it's funny because, you know, that's what people are hearing today. And uh, Chris, I think you said how, you know, back then it sounded so crazy, but now it's kind of like not so, you know, it's kind of tame comparatively. I mean, we've heard it all, you know, over the last 40 years, we've heard some crazy shit come out of the music scene, various music scenes. So, you know, what we were doing was so cutting edge and so crazy sounding back then, but not so much anymore. Yeah. Well, I'm finding now that when I play it for people who know nothing about hardcore, they're not necessarily back then, back in 81. And when you played it for people who had no idea, oh my God, they didn't know what to think about it. But, yeah. you know, nowadays Somebody can hear it and go, oh, yeah, I've heard plenty of music that's kind of like that. You yeah. know what I mean? So um, 
although it still has a pretty cool edge to it, I think. And I think Al um, did a really good job remastering it and yeah. adding, got some good low end into it. And uh, I don't know, it's been kind of fun to listen back to it. It's definitely different. That's for sure. Definitely different than, than most things you listen to, you know? Before we get to the re-release, uh, the reissue more, what do you think about the development that took place between the kids will have this saying, get it away? And is that part of the deal also? Do you guys know? Is that going to be reissued yeah. as well? Yeah, get it away will be coming out in 2024. Uh, they're hoping, you know, by like May-ish around there, you know, early spring. Um, it's being worked on right now. Um, I know the album cover is, you know, being worked on. Um, so yeah, that, that, the plan is to have that, that released as well. So, so go ahead. You know, uh, talking to Joe Nelson about, you know, you know, this, um, kind of event that we had, the signing was, um, you know, for various reasons, it was going to be much bigger than we originally ended up being, but, um, you know, this next party, uh, or whatever happens, uh, is going to be, uh, a little bit, uh, uh, more in, in line with what we originally had. But, uh, you know, we were thinking about playing and stuff like that, but, you know, Al's neuropathy isn't uh, allowing that. So we'll see what happens where, where we are in, you know, six months or whatever it is. Interesting. So as far as what I originally was going to ask you, do you think the band developed a lot between the first record and Get It Away? Because, you know, I mean, a lot of people will say Glue is like, you know, probably the greatest SSD song. I mean, I... I mean, I like songs on, you know, both records, yeah. you know, even some of the older stuff, you know, the more metal stuff that Chris probably really loved a lot. Uh, that's a kind of a joke. Um, did you feel the band was developing a lot, Chris, at that time? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I, I think Jamie may feel the same way. I really feel like Get, Get It Away was the record. To me, that was the one where we had we had the hardcore 80s hardcore to me that that's when we kind of perfected this thing that was going on you know i mentioned to somebody the other day you get in that room with al and jamie and springer and i threw you throw out all the ideas of 12 bar blues or anything to do with traditional song structure <laughs> and um i think that's what made the music at that time really cool you know, is that it was so different. Then as musicians, we all learned how to play our instruments. And that's when the metal thing started coming. That's, that's, that's really when, you know, people learned how to play their instruments. And all of a sudden it was like, hey, check this out. I can play this Led Zeppelin riff. It's like, oh, well, I thought we weren't doing that. Well, <laughs> we all, we all did. We all dove into that. But I feel like Get It Away still had that, uh, like, fresh, if you listen to the song structure and the way it was set up, um, it's still really fresh and different. Um, and, and uh, you know, there, there are talking points about the next two records that, you know, we've been talking more about with people about that whole transition. Uh, I feel like Get It Away was almost like uh, uh, kids will have their saying, get it away. They, they could be, they were in the same time period um and i feel like get it away was almost like uh, uh, uh yeah it, it was our sophomore effort right you know what i mean we weren't we weren't so fresh at it anymore and and it did come across a little stronger i thought and, and um, the addition of friend i'm sorry to cut you off but the addition of francois you know brought us just a whole different dynamic to the band to the sound of the band I mean, people have told me, you know, it's funny because when you're in the middle of it all, it's just what you're doing and you don't really maybe appreciate it for what it is. But, you know, friends have told me, man, the first time I heard that, it was like I had never heard anything like that on, from a, a hardcore band, um, just the crazy guitar sounds and shit like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, there was it was, a, you know, I don't think it was a conscious effort to change in any way. Uh, it just like Chris said we're just getting a little bit better. We're a little more familiar with, with, you know, how to write songs or whatever. And um, it just, there was a, a, a natural evolution, which continued on. But unfortunately, like <laughs> many people said, uh, maybe not so appreciated, you know, the, the, the last two records. Um, but it was just a constant development. I think most bands do that. Except maybe ACDC. <laughs> they, 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 their first album is like their last album. <laughs> Be, before well, you... somebody pulled, 
somebody pointed, excuse me, Steve, somebody pointed out to me that um, uh, the al- the artwork on How We Rock really kind of set the tone for it and if we had different artwork maybe if we had another <laughs> puss head drawing on the cover or something right. i think people would have thought of it a little differently but we were really pushing the envelope when we said how we rock you know and i think then then people were like okay now they've become a rock band you know but we were kind of like making fun of it uh, I, I mean i think i I don't think other people got the humor in the cover, though. And when you say ACDC, look at the back of How We Rock. Yeah. And then um, look at For Those About to Rock. Yeah. And you will see this a, a, a similarity. Because <laughs> I believe Mr. Burrill said, make it look like this album. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, just just go look it up sometime. <laughs> You'll see. You're right about that. I. I was one of the really surprised people, I have to say, when I saw you guys at the Olympic Auditorium in May 1984. I wasn't expecting what happened. And, you know, we talked about this before, Jamie, you know, and it was just kind of shocking to me. But I didn't think it was bad. I mean, I was like, oh, okay, these guys are developing and they've got a newer sound. You know, I, I think a lot of people there were a little bit shocked, and uh, but you guys seem to like deal with that pretty well. Do you remember that show, Chris? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, getting hit with ice and cups and different things and getting spit on and such. The suicide show I'm talking about for the yeah. listeners. Oh, was that the first L.A. show that we did? Because I know we did. Didn't we do two in the Olympic? We did, we did two at the Olympic. One with uh, Social Distortion. I think that was the. That was the second one, I think. Yeah, what year did you say, Steve? The, the, the it was May 1984 that I saw you guys. And, you know, I was surprised that I looked at some old dates and it said that you guys played shows in 85. And I was like, I thought you guys only did one show after the Olympic with that metal show with Executioner. I didn't think that you had gone back and played three shows, but that's what I found online. Um. Yeah, my, my, my memory is always a little hazy, but I do know for sure that there was two shows that we played, that, like we flew out specifically just for one show um, at the Olympic Auditorium. And one of them was uh, so, uh, suicidal headlined, and the other one... Um, was it the Santa Monica Civic? Well, we played the Santa Monica Civic Center. That was like the 83 tour, though. That was when that we was played before. the Yeah, that was before. So after the suicidal show, you did go back to L.A. and play mm-hmm. again? I, we did play one last show. It was, um, yeah, the one that Social Distortion uh, was the headliner. I think it was supposed to be somebody else. Like it was scheduled like the week before or something. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm no historian. Like someone's going to be like, oh yeah, I know exactly what, what happened. But um, yeah, it was, I think someone else was supposed to play. Um, and then that show got canceled or postponed for a couple of weeks or something like that. But yeah, we did come back and play with, with, with Social Distortion. And that, I think that was the one that people were not having it. They did not like us. The LA scene was not into us. Yeah. You guys seem to survive that the show I was at. I mean, um, cause you know, the Minutemen played before you and, uh, Oh, that was the first one. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That and, was the one that the chili peppers played. Um, and, yeah. That was the first show. Yeah, for sure. You know, yeah. what's crazy. And I have to ask you about this. Someone told me that when the chili peppers played that show, Keith Morris was singing with them. Is that, that is true? Correct. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Anthony couldn't. Uh, it, there was something happening. Anthony. I, they had said that he was in jail. I'm not sure if that is exactly true, but he could not make the show. Uh, so Keith Morrison caught up and 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 sang instead. I don't yeah. know. My why memory. I remember that. I remember. My memory of Keith Morris was that he got up and he he basically said "funky chicken," and that was <laughs> the lyrics. The only lyrics that he did. He just said "funky chicken." It, it, it you know. That was it. That's all yeah. I remember was him doing that. It's it's yeah. weird that I don't remember that because I was there and I remember the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm still yeah. not a fan to this day, by the way. I, I don't <laughs> mind saying that. Well, uh, I, I do remember getting there uh, for uh, you know at soundcheck, and I remember specifically Chris and I were sitting in there was you know in the the, the auditorium type seating, and across the aisle is Flea, and he's he's playing bass and Chris and I just looked at each other like, what the fuck? This guy's unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge chili peppers fan myself, uh, you know, especially the early, earlier stuff, but, um, yeah, that was strange. The, the, the Keith Morris thing. I, I mean, he's buddies with them. So 
I guess it made sense. Did Did you ever think that thirty eight years later or thirty seven years later we'd be sitting here talking about SSD? Nah, not at all. Nah, no way. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, when you're a young kid and you and you're just involved in all that thing, it's just you know you're just living it, and and it doesn't you don't really see it for what it is. But yeah, many years later, you think, wow, that was like. It was like a movement, you know, it was like a youth movement that, you know, a lot of kids were involved in and meant a real lot, especially the whole straight edge movement meant a lot to a lot of kids. I mean, I hear it all the time about, oh, you saved my life. And, you know, that that music was was so, you know, inspiring to me and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, even to this day, I mean, we did this record signing, a, you know, a week or so ago. And, you know, there's like young kids coming up to us and, and you know, just saying, oh, my God, this thing, you know, this record means so much. And hard to believe like you say 40 years later that, that people still give a shit yeah it's kind of amazing you know i was in conversation with uh, joe nelson about it and just saying how great it was to get this out and you know some of that is because the people who were there they want to get a hold of it they want to remember it there's a little bit of reminiscing there um then there's other people who are like oh i i wish i had gotten that i'm gonna go finally get a listen to it but um Joe yesterday on Instagram uh, showed a new cream magazine that has a full page ad for SSD control. Wow. Could you ever have imagined that, that a, that a full page ad in cream magazine for SSD control. So my thing with Joe is I'm like, does this have legs? You know? Okay. So we have this, these people that we know would be into it, but are there, maybe there's, maybe there is a new generation of kids that would be like, Hey, this is cool. You know, this is where it came from, you know? So uh, I'm kind of interested to see what, what else it brings up. You know what I mean? If, if it actually does speak to other kids, I know that there's definitely punk rock kids out there that it speaks to. Um, but uh, I think it's got a, it's, it's almost like it has a whole new chance. There's a whole new opening, you know, and it'll, it isn't just a, a, trust is making it so that it isn't just a vanity remember when project they're actually pushing it forward to have have hardcore be recognized as a part of american music the american mm -hmm. history of music and part of me is blown away because it was 40 years ago and and yeah here we are talking about it that's incredible i mean it's, it's pretty amazing you know and oh, uh with with great that trust stepped up with all the bands that have covered glue, you can only think this is going to get bigger when Get It Away comes out. I mean, because glue has been like youth of today. Don't, don't they play that every yeah. time, every show now? I mean, yeah, it, it, you know, you mentioned that uh, that is probably the, the, the song that everybody knows. And yes, it does get covered a lot. Um, I've seen lots of videos of people, people you know, covering it. Did you see the one where it's an all Asian group? I, I I can't remember. I don't know their name, but it's it. There's an all Asian audience, and it's an all Asian yeah, right? group playing glue. I haven't seen that, but I did see this girl, this young girl, um, you know, on YouTube doing like a cover of it, like playing all the Francois pots. It was, it was pretty interesting. Like, that oh is no, kidding! Trip. I mean, she's a, you know, she looked like she was like 15 or something like that. So you know, like you say, this this new audience is it's wild like you said never would have imagined that anybody would have given a shit 40 years later i was going to ask you about dewberry comics because i didn't get to i didn't make it there but i heard it was amazing i also heard that springer and al you know al didn't beat springer up or anything so that must have made it a good night right yeah it was uh you know that was the first time the four of us um three of us have gotten together in various at various times but never all four of us uh together uh in the same room um and in fact we you know did a little interview that day and um yeah i mean you know every, it, it's certainly no secret that you know that the, the relationship that alan springer have um it gets talked about a lot but yeah they were, they were fine they're they're, they're you know what you know bottom the bottom line is we did something together you know many years ago that was kind of special and so you know there's going to be that lifelong bond between us um you know i'll always remember these guys as you know the ones that i did this crazy shit with when i was a kid yeah. literally has changed my life i mean like i said i mean I, I wouldn't know the people that i know today uh i wouldn't have never met my wife and and 
you know, many, many people in my life that are super important to me. I all I met because of this this band. So yeah, it's it's pretty special. Chris, were you surprised about the Newberry Comics uh turnout? Oh, I uh exceeded all expectations, really. Um, and some of that was because of the day it was, a day before Thanksgiving, it was a rainy day, you know. I was like, oh, this 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 could be tough. But um it was really, really surprising and so cool to walk into the store and just see a line of people, you know, waiting to come up and, and um, everybody just seemed really excited about it. And, and different people had different stories about, you know, the effect it had on them when they were younger or what it was or even meeting some kids. Um, it, it really was a, a great day. And, and I'm sure Alan Springer getting along helped out a little bit you know um yeah. i think uh they have a story themselves you know uh the two of them um and uh it was great to see everybody together actually it was great to get together and i think everybody um really enjoyed being able to do that you know and like jamie said 40 years later i mean not a whole lot of bands can sit uh on the same couch 40 years later and, uh, and, and live through it, you know? So I feel like we're pretty lucky that we could do that. And it, and it is amazing, you know, what, what from friends to, to music. I mean, I, I played music in all kinds of different bands and uh, you know, the, the coolest people are the ones who are like, Oh yeah, you were in SSD control. And I was like, man, yep, that's right. That's where it all started, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I was blown away by how many people showed up that day. It was really great. It was a lot of fun. Now, I know Jamie's, uh, you know, doing the long wait now. Are you playing these days? I'm not really playing. I, I do play with a band called uh, Trusty Sidekick, and it's a bunch of musicians here in town. It's uh, We never rehearse. We just show up at the gig, and we know the songs because we've learned them over a long period of time. And uh, but it's just, you know, every couple of months I go out and play. Um, you know, some of it has to do with my hands. I have arthritis pretty bad, which uh, unfortunately drumming is the one place yeah. where it really affects me. Other <laughs> things in life, I can I can grin and bear it. But um, drumming, if I can't hold on to the stick, I'm going to hit somebody in the head with it. So, um, so I'm not playing out as much. Uh, but I do at home, I play a lot of guitar at home and I get a drum set and set up and, you know, music is a part of my everyday life. So that'll, that'll never go away. Um, I definitely, um, have been sitting down at the drums a little bit more because we had been talking about maybe playing and I, I don't know how the hell I played that music. I listen back to it now and I'm like, holy shit, what the hell was I doing? You know? So, uh, it would take some, um, some calisthenics actually some exercising in order to get myself back in shape to 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 be playing that record but um yeah that was there that was going to be my my last question really because if al is able to get through all his health issues and everything because i know he'll probably want to do it do you think it can happen i mean do you think that ssd will actually play a show uh, i don't my... know if you go ahead go ahead jamie all right. I, I was going to say, you know, I don't know that would play a set, but I could see us, you know, if, if, you know, everyone's feeling it, uh, you know, playing four or five songs at some event or something. That's all you got to do, really. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that was, uh, I think, the vision um, of, of us ever playing again was, you know, three or four or five songs, whatever it is. Um, I, I see that maybe happening. You know, we'll see. We'll see what time, you know, brings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, 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 it's really a matter of seeing, uh, you know, how things go for all of us, you know, as, uh, but uh, I, I'm sure we'd like to do something special. And we've talked about a couple of different ideas, you know, so we're, we're again, like Jamie said, we're hoping to have something a little, uh, a little bigger party when we get to get it away out there. So, you know, I, I, I do have another question, actually, is trust having you guys go out and do any promo anywhere or did they just come to Boston and have you do the promo there? At this point, that was the only uh, promo. I mean, they're you know they're they're taking care of it on their end as far as like you know media promo and stuff like that. 
Um, maybe something might happen uh, with Get It Away. You know, we talked about maybe like doing something at the Punk Rock Museum uh, next year after it comes out. They they seemed open to something like that. So, um, you know, we'll see. But there's there's no there's no plans, nor is there any sort of you know demand on our on, on their part to like, oh yeah, you guys got to go out and you know promote this thing. They're they're not like that at all. That our cool. our relationship with trust has been unbelievably great i mean joe and and, and all the guys matt they're, they're such nice guys and you know it's really a, a passion project for them they like i think chris mentioned they want to just preserve this this you know american art form that you know they're afraid that you know a lot of us <laughs> you know people our age uh now that we're all in our 50s and, and 60s and whatever you know start people starting to drop and uh you know eventually this will go away if if you know and and 40 years 50 years from now will anybody remember this this scene you know will it will it uh you know have legs but uh that's i think their 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 desire in fact joe mentioned something that eventually they would like to maybe like create some sort of archive in a museum or something uh smithsonian or something like that where you know it's preserved forever well, I'm really excited about all of this. And um, thank you guys, man, for coming no on the show. Because I think this has, been, this is fantastic. You guys deserve this. The band is definitely one of the greatest, you know, hardcore bands ever. So Thanks, thank you very much. Thanks, man. Right on. Wow.
Pretty incredible, isn't it? I never imagined that 40 years after seeing SSD play in 1984 at the Olympic Auditorium in Los Angeles, that we would still be talking about them. Never mind that. How about having a beautiful new repackaged version of the kids will have their say? Wow. It makes me happy that I can actually talk to these guys about this. Thank you, Jamie and Chris, for coming on the show. And thank you, Al Burrell for keeping the SSD legacy going after all these years. Al's been a driving force all along behind this band. Uh, the icing on the cake, you know what I'm going to say, would be seeing the band play one more time, one live show. And you know what I have to say to that? Anything is possible. All right. You can reach out to me and send me music anytime at twistedrico at gmail.com. We have an Instagram page, Facebook threads, YouTube, where you can actually watch the the Zoom interview I did with Jamie and Chris. It's fun to watch. Watch it. And there's also a TikTok page at Twisted Rico where you can watch clips from the show. And we put a lot of clips up there. Love putting those clips up there for you. And don't forget to come down to New Alliance in Somerville this Friday at 7 o'clock. I would love to see you there. Please come by and say hi and check out some Twisted Rico art and some other cool art and music that's going to be happening down there as well. Till the next time we say goodbye, this is Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. Keep the rock and roll alive.